Today, we are going to introduce you to your hosts, Jack and Kat. Thanks for joining us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. So I am Jack, and I am a wife, and uh, I met my husband in 2007, and pretty much the first day I met him, I knew that he was my person, and we have been married for 12 years. He is my best friend, my partner in crime, and he makes all my crazy, ridiculous dreams come true pretty much every day. And he is probably the nicest person I have ever met. Uh, I am also a business owner. I have a small company that serves local businesses. And I've been working in my field for about 24, 25 years now. I love what I do and I'm really good at it. So there's that. Um, Right now, I am a mom of eight kids because I'm a foster mom, and that number is constantly changing, and it will be changing again next week. So I developed a heart for kids who needed homes in my early 20s, and when I met my husband, I told him that I really didn't have any intention of having any biological kids until I could adopt one. So he agreed, and after a year of marriage, we started an international adoption process. It took us a couple years, but it ended us um, with spending a couple months living in Africa and adopting one of the most incredible humans I have ever met. Um, it wasn't without heartbreak, though, because, you know, when we called the adoption agency, we just told them that we wanted to adopt from where there was the most need, and the country that they told us uh, closed their adoption process pretty shortly after we started it. And, um, and then before we ended up with the adoption track that we ended on, uh, we had a couple requests to adopt kids who were domestic, private adoptions, like, you know, young kids who were, um, you know, trying to find a better life for their child and uh, those ended in heartbreak um, but in the end it all worked out because you know we adopted our son um, so as life turned out God must have known that my body wasn't made to carry my own biological children because when we wanted to give um, our son a sibling it didn't work out biologically so we were just as happy to change course and consider other ways to give my son some live-in friends I remember he always used to go to his friend's house who had siblings and he would come home in tears saying 
you know, when I leave, they still have someone to play with, but I go home by myself. Yeah. That's so sad. It's so sad, but it's so opposite from his life right now where he is like the leader of this like child mob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So in 2016, um, we became foster parents and it was one of the best decisions we have ever made. Um, You know, initially our intention was really, you know, we just wanted to have kids in our house and, you know, we wanted to adopt again, but it just seemed like a good route to give our son some people to play with. (laughs) And so uh, at this point, we've had somewhere between 50 or 60 kids um, in our home and uh, we adopted three of our foster placements. So we've been blessed to reunify families. We've seen kids from our home find their forever families. Um, We have uh, been blessed. We've had our hearts broken. We've fought really hard for the kids in our care. Uh, Right now, in addition to our four adopted kids, we have four foster placements, and we love the heck out of all eight of them. Um, In 2018, I kind of... Uh, started being more of a foster care advocate because I joined forces with a group of people who are starting a nonprofit. Um, they, we were all led by a guardian ad litem that wanted to do a little more for kids in care than she was able to as a gal. And I have been honored to serve on this board. And I've seen so many kids be impacted by what this organization does that it is, uh, it's really just a privilege to be part of it. So that's kind of where I'm at in the child welfare side of things. Can I just say that I just flashed back to the first day you were a foster parent and we all met at Culver. <laughs> and then we didn't realize that the little boy you had couldn't eat solid food, so I yeah. ran to get you a bottle. Oh, my god! And then when I got to where I was going, my car wouldn't start. Right! <laughs> we were trying to, like, jump it, but we didn't know what to do, so we just stood in front of, like, the Wawa. Was it a Wawa or something, something like that? Something like that, with, yeah. with the jumper cables in our hands, like, Waiting for someone. We just stood there waiting, all while Mr. Jack was at Culver's yeah. with a crying baby, who was literally crying. He would not even eat French fries. Yeah. And our oldest son, uh, my sister always used to say that I didn't earn my parenting stripes with him because he was such a perfect child. So, you know, while we had already experienced um, spending some time raising a child who had been, you know, through trauma, we had never been through anything quite like that. So, yeah. You've definitely earned your parenting stripes (laughs) now. I hope so. Yes, you have. So tell me a little bit, my friend Kat, about your uh interest and your your history well i've always known that i wanted to work with children i think since i was like a toddler i was dragging baby dolls around the house (laughs) uh just like uh your daughter (laughs) just like my daughter um but i began my career working as an elementary school teacher which i quickly realized was not for me i taught elementary school for one year and i did that while i was in grad school and I, I learned really quickly that large groups of children are really loud and smelly and <laughs> they want all of your attention. And that was, you know, a lot for a 22-year-old. So um, I did not renew my contract the second year. And um, that summer, the next summer, I did an internship for the Children's Defense Fund in Washington, D.C. And I worked in the press department. And there we worked on issues dealing with child welfare 
And, um, which are all issues we're talking about now. Like, how does the money we spend impact children? How do the political issues that we vote on impact children? Um, how does Medicaid impact children? You know, how the, um, the issues that our politicians are voting on right now, how does that impact the children that are in care, the kids that are, that are going to be removed, the kids that we call in referrals on, all these things. And so um, children's health insurance, things like that. So that was really impactful for me because it was like hands and feet um, on the ground, um, seeing what people are you know voting on and like in real time. And so, um, so that was a really interesting experience. But after I was done with that, I finished grad school. And my first um, job after teaching was I worked as a caseworker for Child Protective Services in Texas. Oh, so you were like a case manager. I was. I didn't know that. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, it's really it was really different in Texas than it is in Florida because um, everybody works for the same agency there. So, like, there's no different agency for CPI and case management. And right. It, it's like every, so, like, third floor was, uh, like, CPI, investigations. And the first floor was case management. That's where I was. And, like, the fifth floor was adoptions. Like, we're all together. Wow. Yeah. So, it's still tough for me to figure out what everybody's doing here, even though I've been here over a decade. <laughs> you know, like, even remembering all the agencies' names. Yeah. You know. Because then each... A particular function might have multiple agencies serving that function. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, I remember when I was in Texas when um, Florida privatized, and we were talking about is that going to be a good thing or not, um, which I didn't really care at the time, (laughs) but now I do care because I'm here. (laughs) So, that experience and as a case manager was absolutely life changing because I was on the ground with parents with children. And most of these parents were significantly older than me because I was 23, 24. People were terminating their own parental rights, relinquishing them to me, you know, signing away their parental rights. You know, it was just me and them, you know. So really hard stuff for a really young person. And doing final visits with families after they'd lost their rights. I mean, listen, I'm significantly older than 22, 23, 24 and every time I see a parent sign surrenders or even just attend a TPR hearing, like, I am wrecked. Yeah. So I can't imagine at that age, like, being, like, uh, such a, a, a part of that. It was tough. I remember once working with a family for a couple of years, and then the mom tested positive for cocaine, and she relinquished her rights. And I remember crying in that court hearing, and... One of the attorneys was like, what's wrong? And I, I was like, if you don't understand, you're, you know, it was really tough stuff. And yeah. so, um, but I think, I definitely think that job changed the trajectory of my career. Okay. So at this point you've worked, um, with, as far as child welfare, you've worked in, uh, like, uh, lobbying laws, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or doing press for... Yeah, so in the press department, I mean, we all did lobbying, no matter what department you were in, right. but I was in the press department, so we um, we just wrote, I mean, basically what we did was we, um, we generated all the news for that day that had anything to do with children or child welfare, and then we put together, like, this press packet for our CEO every day, so if somebody called her for a quote, 
she could go through the press packet and know what they were talking about. Interesting. And so we did that by like 9 a.m. every day or 10 oh, a.m. Oh, wow. Early morning. Yeah. And then then we the rest of the day we did. Okay. So you started working on laws affecting child welfare, and then you were on the ground case manager in child welfare. What next? Okay. So then I uh, you know, got pretty... The secondhand trauma got pretty old. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I uh, was offered a job as that was like, couldn't pass it up. It was the executive director of an adoption agency for infants, um, and it was brand new. Oh, wow. So I was the, like, the first executive director. The truth is, I was the only qualified person they'd found. <laughs> I wasn't special. But, um, so I was there in, until I had my oldest son, and that was a really fun experience. There was just as much secondary trauma there, too. Though, oh, yeah. As there was. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what job have you ever had that didn't involve secondary it's trauma? True. It's point? true. It's true. But it was, you know, like, there I definitely learned that there is nobody on this earth that doesn't have something. Like, some kind of trauma. Like, I, I remember writing home studies on surgeons, people who were just, like, more wealthy than I can ever imagine. And then you know, asking them the hard questions and them having answers that were heartbreaking. I mean, everybody has something. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times people like look at somebody in certain positions or certain financial situations and just assume their life is perfect. It's not true. You know, behind the doors, there could be all kinds of problems. Right. There's nobody that I've interviewed that doesn't have some kind of heartbreak. More money, more problems. It's true. (laughs) I mean, I I remember, yeah, that, I have I have lots of um, memories that would break your heart, you know, and so um, so when I had my first son, I stayed home for a few years, and then we moved to Florida, and I started working doing comprehensive behavioral health assessments, CBHAs, CBHAs. So if you're in Florida, and you're in the child welfare system, you might be familiar with, and I did this for a while, and so uh, just to clarify. Um, as a foster parent, when a child comes to my home, one of the first people I see, and often before I even meet a case manager, is uh, somebody who calls me on the phone and they're like, my name is so-and-so, my name is Kat, and I have to write a CBHA for your kid. And the first time you get a call, you're like, I don't know what a CBHA is, but like, sure, come on over. Or, you know, these days they call you a lot because of COVID, but um, and, and basically, what is a quick overview of the CBHA? So CBHA is a, it's a pretty lengthy report, and it's court-ordered, and the state of Florida requires it, that kind of goes over everything the child could possibly need, like education, social, emotional, physical. Uh, so it's like a full evaluation on exactly, the child. Talking exactly. about their health, their anything right. that there might be an issue exactly. with so that the the court knows what this like as much as they can possibly know Absolutely. about the child and my goal when i'm writing one is to really humanize the child and really humanize the parents um there's you know everything possible in there and then you know the outcome would be that we write good recommendations for these kids and so the judge will court order the recommendations generally unless they're bonkers so you know like <laughs> A speech referral for the child if their speech delayed, because in in the CBHA we do evaluations, you know, um, you know OT evaluation, like get this kid to a gastro doctor right. if they have obvious reflux, whatever. And so if they're underweight, get them to 
whoever. I always think it's great when the CBHA writer comes and spends some time with the kid, and then I, as a foster parent, get a copy of it because I feel like it's a really great roadmap to make sure that I'm not missing out on something that the kid needs. So even outside of all the legal stuff of what a CBHA <laughs> yes. is. And while, while Florida does a lot of things that are really difficult, I think it's something that they do right because... I mean, I think it saved some kids' lives. Like, I've had, I remember I had one kid who, when I interviewed the parents, they talked about the child's tumor on the brain. And I was able to go back to the foster parents and say, this is an emergency. They need a doctor's appointment with the neurologist. And nobody had heard about the tumor on the brain. Well, and, and this is something we talked about um, before, about how a lot of times when kids come to placement, you know, it's an emergency type situation. I've had kids who've come to my home where at the time of placement, the parent was like OD'd and they didn't know if they were going to make it or like arrested or in a state of like confusion. And so the parent's not able to convey information that you might need in that moment. Um, A lot of times they're angry and they won't give the police information about the kid because they're trying to prevent them from taking it. When in actuality, a lot of times it just ends up in like, some confusion and misinformation so yeah it's interesting that that happened it happens like once a year it seems like like Hmm. and i haven't written a cbha in a few months but um i stopped in like october but that was 11 years yeah i've I've written a lot so um it like once a year i will hear something from a grandparent or a parent about you know we there's something that runs in our family that is a heart condition because i ask about everything right what runs in your family? You know, what has everybody died from in your family? And I think sometimes the parents and the relatives are maybe more inclined to speak with a CBHA writer because you're not like, you're not the quote bad guy. You're just yeah. doing an eval for the kids. It's very rare that they won't talk to me. They almost always, they're almost always happy to talk to someone else other than right. the people who took their kid. They're, right. they're usually pretty kind. Every, every now and then I've got someone that's like, you're talking too fast. And why did you even call me if you don't want to talk to me right now? And I'm saying, well, I just need to make an appointment with you. It's going to take about an hour or an hour and a half, you know. And so, um, but it usually goes pretty well if they answer the phone. And and that's the whole purpose of the CBHA, to keep the kids healthy and safe. And you really can't do that with the, without the cooperation of the parents. And I feel like when I see it in action, like the brain tumor yeah. and that kind of thing, that's when I think, like, you know, that's when it's, like, a job well done, you know? Well, yeah, and that's, like, wow, like, me doing this job that I did just possibly saved this kid's life. You know, that's, like, such an extreme version of, like, what we all aim for. So that's really cool. Yeah, and, you know, I've had other ones, too, that are, like, you know, the parents are Muslim. It's really important to put in the CBHA that this child should not, you know eat bacon this child should not be around alcohol because their cultural beliefs are really important and we need to honor that and not disregard them just because they made a choice that caused their child to be removed right right and so those things are important too so so most of your career was writing cbhas right yeah i would say that was the bulk of it because it was about 11 years and i'm i'll probably go back to it i just had like some double vision for a while so take a little (laughs) break but um and so about i guess five or six years into writing cbhas i added seeing some kids for therapy to that. So I saw teenage girls for therapy for a while, and now I mostly see little kids. Um, and so I have a full caseload of just little guys right now. 
I mean, that's kind of fun. They are fun. I love all of them. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. So uh, so now you're doing therapy for kids in care? They're or? all in care. Yeah, okay. they're all in care. So every now and then I get to be a part of a reunification. Um, like, you know, the judge will order that the therapist um, assist in uh, the reunification. So the mom will come to therapy or the dad will come to therapy and I get to be a part of that whole process and that's really nice. That's it's, really cool. Yeah, it's good to see the whole thing come together. Yeah, I mean, sometimes even as a foster parent, you don't get to like be as involved with a reunification. Um, obviously, the re- I've got two very different quasi reunifications next week. One where a child is going to a relative, which isn't a reunification, but it's him going back to family, leaving my home. And then I have another mm-hmm. reunification where uh, it's these three girls going back to their mom and. Uh, while the three girls going back to their mom, I feel like I'll probably be a pretty big part of it. Uh, in fact, I was mm-hmm. going to invite you. Why don't we do it here on the podcast? Okay. All right. Uh, the Sunday night when she co- brings the girls back from their Aww. weekend, I'm going to get a cake uh, that says congratulations on it. And I'm going to surprise her when she walks in the door and uh, have uh, my sisters coming um, with oh her kids. Goodness. and. I just want to jump out and yell surprise and congratulations and all that stuff because she's worked so hard to get to this point and I'm just so proud of her and I just really want her to feel good about it. And I think what's going to happen at reunification is I'm dropping the kids off at school and I think she really wants to pick the kids up from school, which is so cool for them because like they're basically going to go home from their last day of school and go home. Yeah. But it's sad for me because like I wanted to kind of be there. So that's why I'm kind of doing this little party, but also. I would love to be there. uh, Yeah. So if you and the kids want to come on Sunday, um, that'd be awesome. I think my daughter would cry the whole time. (laughs) I'm going to be crying. So I think pretty sure everyone's going to cry. Happy tears though. Uh, So yeah. So even as a foster parent, sometimes we don't get to really be part of that reunification because this other kid is going to a relative. Basically, someone's going to come pick him up from my house and then he's just going to be gone. Um, but I'm sure that that will be uh, really great for um, his family. It is. It, but that's one of those bizarre ones where, like, we've all known him all this time and then yeah. he'll just be gone. I know. And sad. then... Uh, it was uh, my my last infant that was with me. Um, actually, just today, like an hour or two before you got here, uh, I got a couple videos and Aww. pictures of her from. Uh, she's living with a relative now. They they um, they send me pictures and videos of her getting older and like she's so big. It's unbelievable. Oh, everybody adores this baby. <laughs> everybody, my three kids. I mean, Love. weren't you in my house I the day they dropped her off? I was. We were all here at 2 in the morning. My <laughs> boys were in this, like, storage room looking for baby supplies yeah. with, with Jack's son. Yeah. I think we I think we were up changing her diapers, feeding her, yeah. all of us, at 2 in the morning. Yeah, it was super fun. Hanging out on the couch. <laughs> we were waiting, like, those... It was hours. Yeah. I think you got the call at like 10 or 11 and we just... Yeah, I mean, it'll take like sometimes... I mean, it depends because sometimes the kid's like sitting in a car waiting to go somewhere and they're there like in less than an hour. But most of the time when they call you, like the kid still has to go to the doctor and go here and go there and they got to pick something up and sometimes they even feed the kid before they come. So a lot of the times, um, you know, it'll take six hours and... yeah. And I think that CPI had like three babies in her car that yeah. night. It was rough. 
was rough for her. Okay, yeah. so, yeah. sorry, super sideline. Uh, so you worked with uh, Laws for Child Welfare. You worked as a case manager. You worked doing CBHAs, and now you're doing therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything you want to share about your family? I have three kids. Um, they're amazing. They're a lot of fun. Um, they love um, Jack's kids. They like to I mean... There, uh, your daughter just always kills me, and I just yeah. remember when she was a little baby, and she's like that same little creature, yeah. like this bubbly cartoon child. That she's the same. She's so much. She's like slowly morphing into like Phoebe from Friends. But... <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> she is. Yes, she is. But I think the reason that we met was because of your son and my second son's baseball experience. Yes. And thank God for that. Yeah. I mean, and what are the chances that, I mean, that was like the only year your kids played baseball, right? Yeah, they were, they just the, flopped. That the year. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> Every kid in T-ball flopped. Did you see my four-year-old on the baseball field? The Did you see picker. any videos? I don't think I saw videos. He had to be carried from base to base. Oh okay? my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. And many times during each game, he'd come running off the field and like sit on the ground next to me or go running up the hills behind us. Like, listen, every kid's t-ball is a flop, but that's okay. But I'm really glad that the one year they played, they got to be on my kid's team because me too. what would my life be like without I know. You? I mean, come on. Who would I go to Target with? I'm... I don't know, but I'd be so mad. <laughs> I'd be so mad. And I wouldn't know why. Uh, that's wild. All right. So uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we're so glad to have you. We are so glad to have you. And, uh, you know, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.